Thank you, brother. And you may be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And today is a special day because this morning we want to install uh, our new deacons who have not been ordained before. And we want to ordain them and install them in the office of deacon and pray for our deacons in general. And so uh, it's only fitting that in this series on the church, we spend some time talking about how God has gifted his church to be led and served. And a lot of times we think of the church as an organism. Uh, there's a, a line from one of the Marvel movies. Uh, I forget who, which character says that, but he says, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And a lot of times people will, you know, use that saying for the church, the church is not a place, it's a people. And I affirm that 100%. And when we think of the church as an organism, uh, but it is also an organization. It's an organism and it's an organization. Or perhaps a better word is that the church is also an institution. The church is an institution. If you, if you looked at Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 17, if you went in there, Paul prays for the Ephesians church that they would be rooted and established. And there's a very famous pastor and writer by the name of Abraham Kuyper who has a book entitled Rooted and Grounded. And he makes the case that the church is not just an organism, it's an institution. And he focuses on these two words, rooted and grounded, rooted and established. Rooted is that organ, organism focus. It is this organic that... That the church is something that springs up out of the people, right? God saves people and people become believers and they make up the church and they're rooted and they spread their roots and they grow. But Paul doesn't pray just that they're rooted, but that they are established. And, and the word established has the idea of something being built. Something is being constructed. Something is being set on a foundation and led. And so he spends the rest of his sermons, it's a book of sermons, but he spends the rest of his sermons talking about how the church is both organism and organization, organism and institution. And when we think about that, that's true of many areas of our life, right? There are things that are institutions that follow guidelines, that follow procedures, that there is a, a government. Our, our country is not just an organism, it's an institution, right? We have a constitution, we have a bill of rights, we have laws. You go to any school, right? And it's not just people just show up and we kind of, every teacher just kind of does what they want to do and every student just does what, no, it's an institution. There, there are guidelines, there are principles, there are roles. And the same is true of the church. And we talked about last week, if you remember, we talked about how Jesus promises when we receive by faith those ordinary means of grace, Jesus promises to meet with us every week. You remember that? We talked about the preaching and the reading of the word, the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and prayer. We talked about the ordinary means of grace. And so I, I, encourage you to un, I encouraged you last Sunday to understand that Jesus meets with you week after week when we receive those by faith. But what if I told you that Jesus has even done more than that so that you see him and meet him? The Lord has set up his church in such a way that he will meet with us through the ordinary means of grace. But, but did you know that Jesus has also given his church offices, 
by which he promises to be present and by which he's represented. So not only are there means of grace by which God meets with us, the Lord meets with us, but there are offices in the church when, when they're done biblically, they serve to model Christ to us. And so I want to submit to you this morning that when we think about the offices as a Baptist church and a, a Protestant church, uh, we think of two offices in the church, the office of elder and the office of deacon. Those are what are in the New Testament, and that's what's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so there are two offices, two uh, positions or roles that someone can be installed into, placed into, and God has given both of those such that when they are done well, when they're done biblically, they present and model a complete portrait of who Christ is to that particular body. And that's what we want to flesh out this morning on the office of elders and deacons. So a biblical church, one that is ordered biblically, we talked about, we've been talking about this, right? The importance of scripture. One that orders itself biblically will also govern itself biblically. That it will follow the New Testament pattern for governance. And the, 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 the New Testament teaches two offices within the church. These are ordained positions. They're ordained in the sense that they're ordained by God. God established them, but they're also ordained positions in such, that, in a, such a way that we put men into those offices that we think God has called, that the church thinks God has called. And so I just want to spend the time this morning looking at both the office of elder and deacon. We're not going to spend as much time on the office of elder because we're not installing elders this morning. But when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking about the qualifications for elders and deacons. And so what I want us to look at is the qualifications, and then I want us to look at the nature of the office. The qualifications are pretty self-explanatory, and you can understand what Paul's getting at when he says that, first of all, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Uh, It is a good thing to be an elder in your local church. Uh, It's not an easy thing sometimes. It's not the most glamorous thing. It does require some sacrifices, but it is a noble work work. It's something that God calls men to, to serve, to sacrifice, to uh, be willing to take the role of an elder in the church. But what is that role? What does it look like? Well, Paul fleshes that out. He says an overseer, and when you see that, an overseer, that word gives you exactly what you need to know about the role of an elder. An elder is an overseer, someone who watches over, cares over, manages the affairs, uh, takes a, a vested interest in the leadership of the church. And so what are the qualifications of an elder? He says, because it's a noble work, we want to install noble people. And therefore, notice verse 2, an overseer, therefore, there's something about the office. When we think about uh, elders and deacons, it's really not ever about the people. It's the office, right? We talk about respecting the office of the president. Regardless of whoever is president, we respect the office. And this is an office that is a noble work. He says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, this doesn't mean perfect. This doesn't mean blameless. 
It means someone who their character, their person is mostly characterized by that they seek to live a godly life. That they are not, above reproach doesn't mean that they're, they don't have sin in their life. It doesn't mean that they're perfect in all the things that they do. But there is a sense in which this individual is someone who, if we wanted to use broad terms, you know, how are we to think of this person? In other words, think of this way. What comes to your mind when you say their name? They must be above reproach, somebody who has a good reputation, someone who is respectable, right? So they are to have this reputation, not just in the church, but we'll see also outside of the church. But they all must be the husband of one wife. Now, this phrase is one that's caused a lot of consternation and a lot of debate, and, uh, but it's safe to say for the sake of time that what this phrase means You can think of this way is that an elder should be a one-woman devoted man. He should love his wife, be devoted to his wife. He should have that heart that is bent towards her and no one else. If you think about it, if it was just that the husband of one wife, if there was a man who was qualified in all the other areas to be an elder, but he had never married, he would not meet this qualification. Because he would not be the husband of one wife, right? So we have to, we have to understand that, that it does not necessarily mean that an elder cannot be divorced, that an elder cannot uh, be single, but it's that the status of his heart is that he is, not poor, he is not being pulled in another direction to other women, but that he is a one-woman man, that he loves his wife. Because I'll tell you this, any man that doesn't love his wife that way will not love the church that way. A man who has a divided heart, an uncommitted heart to the church, is a man who, has an, who will most likely have a, a divided, uncommitted heart to his wife. Remember Ephesians, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So an elder is to be a one-woman type of man. He is to be self-controlled. That's self, that, that's, you, can, you understand that, right? He is able to exercise discipline. Not that the, he's perfect, but he's not some unrestrained, untrained, following his passions, unable to control himself. He's able to control his mind. He's able to control his tongue. He's able to control his hands. He's sensible. He is to be sensible. What does that mean? It means, if we could put it this way, he has a heavy dose of common sense. He's not an extremist in, in any area. He's able to meet most people on, on the middle ground. He's not someone who's always looking for a fight. He's not someone who's always wanting to have it his way or the highway. But he's sensible. He's reasonable. He's logical. He's rational. So he is to be uh, sensible. He is to be respectable. People ought to look at him and respect him. That they ought to look at him and say, there is somebody that I want my... I would be okay if my son turned out like them. Or I would be okay if my daughter married a man like him. He must be hospitable. Uh, I'll just confess to you, for most of us guys, you know, elders, hospitality is not our strong suit. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about that you're able to do all the things that your wife does when she's hospitable, but that you have a welcoming spirit. 
that you are someone who is friendly to strangers, that you are someone who can uh, be in a group and be in a situation or have people in your house and you are hospitable. So all of these are character traits, but then we get to the next one. It says that he must be able to teach. This is the only skill, really, that's listed in the qualification for an elder. And that's important to note because when it comes to the office of elders and deacons, what matters more is who you are, not what you can do. It matters more what type of man you are. But as an elder, you need to be able to teach. Now, it doesn't say that they must teach. Right, So we, we can have elders who don't teach at all, but they need to be able to. If called upon, they need to be able to. And I think we have elders now, and we have in the past, who were able to teach. They need to be able to, to make a cogent argument for the faith. They, may, they need to be able to at least articulate the basics of the Christian faith. We're not saying that elders have to have a PhD in theology, but... They need to be able to, you know, share the gospel. They need to be able to answer questions, all right? So, going into verse 3, most of these are, are self-explanatory. Not an excessive drinker, okay? Not a bully, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not greedy. All of those characteristics that are habits. Now, let's just be honest, all of this you know, have those tendencies, right? We have tendencies where we're greedy. We cannot be as gentle as we should be. But the overall character, uh, what are your, your 99% of the time habits, right? There, there are instances that either are out of character or reveal your character. You know, so is that time that you weren't gentle, is that the, the one out of 100 or is that the 99 out of 100? You get what I'm saying. So he needs to be a, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle. Listen, uh, gentleness is not weakness. We've got, we've got whole swaths of, of evangelical Christianity that equate being an elder and, and uh, standing for truth as a license to be unkind, ungentle, uncaring. But Paul says that an elder needs to be gentle. He needs to be able to have a gentle touch. Not quarrelsome, not always looking for a fight, not always looking for an argument, and not greedy. Verse 4, he must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. Paul says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? All right. Now, this doesn't mean that your kids are perfect, right? Because that disqualifies all of us, right? Uh, but it is that he, he has a reputation for knowing how to handle his children. He knows how to manage his household. He knows how to balance a budget. He knows how to manage his time. He knows how to do things that make a good household. And those transfer over into being able to care for God's church. Verse 6. He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur some condemnation as the devil. So very plain and simple. We don't want to put anybody in the office of elder who is an immature believer, who's more likely to be tempted, more likely to stumble, more likely to get the wrong idea uh, with the, the power and the leadership position that comes from being an elder. 
And so we simply don't put new converts as being an elder. Uh, that's just a dangerous thing to do, if we're just being honest. Someone who's, who's not able to uh, maybe answer the questions that come up as an elder or to deal with the situations that come up as an elder. But then verse 7, He must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Now this is a touchy subject, I think, because sometimes there's no... I can see situations where someone has a job that makes them unlikable. Okay? You can have a job... We don't, we don't have any lawyers here, do we? Right? Like, if you were a certain type of attorney, you would be kind of less likely to have uh, vast groups and, and swaths of our society like you, right? Does that necessarily disqualify you from being an elder? Well, it depends. I think there is a question of, is this, is this reputation something you want to attach to your church? Or are you willing to not be an elder, even though you meet all the other qualifications, are you willing to not be an elder so that that reputation and that, that feeling towards you is not directed to Christ and His church? But at the same time, there is a sense in which we can't control that. But the issue is not so much uh, what will outsiders say about the church, but notice what Paul says. He says he must have a good reputation. Why? So that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Something about having a bad reputation can lead them to fall and lead them into disgrace. So those are the qualifications of an elder. And I want us to talk about the nature of the office. And we said that the elders and the deacons model Christ. They are models of Christ. And uh, the, the, the elders represent and model Christ as the chief shepherd. If you went over to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, Peter tells the church, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness to the elders among you who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And then verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. So Peter says Jesus is the chief shepherd and he is the model for the little shepherds, for the elders, the pastors of the church. The word elder and pastor is interchangeable. The elders and the pastors of the church... Follow the model of Christ, the chief shepherd. So when we think about Jesus and who he is, one of the things that you need to know is that Jesus has two natures. And this is theological language, but it's language that you need to know. Jesus has two natures. Those natures do not mix into one. He has a divine nature and a human nature, right? And those are reflected in his states before his incarnation and after his incarnation. Remember, Jesus, before he came, was the word that was with God in the beginning, right? He was the eternal son of God. He was the word of God by whom all things are created. But then he descends, he condescends, 
He humbles himself and he comes and he serves. And so you have these two natures of Christ and we have these two offices of Christ. And the elders represent that divine nature, that word nature. And you say, where do we see this? Well, we see this in Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 6. With the establishment of the office of deacons. And the apostles say it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there's this word-centered ministry that reflects the word of God, Jesus Christ. That he is the chief shepherd and he's also the chief steward. And so he is the one, uh, Paul tells Timothy to steward the mysteries of God that, that have been entrusted to you, right? And that's what we do as elders. So that's what elders do. But then what about deacons? What are the qualifications for deacons? Uh, and at this point, I just want to talk to all of our deacons and everybody else gets to listen in, okay? Deacons, verse 8, likewise should be worthy of respect, They should have a good reputation. They should be well thought of. Not hypocritical. Not in the sense of, you know, that we all are hypocritical. But in the sense that they are not hypocritical to the faith that they profess to follow. And they're not hypocritical in what they say. Their word is their bond. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. By and large. It says they should not be drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, The office of deacon is not a place for someone who is questioning their faith. It's not a place for someone who's unsure about believing in Jesus, about the need of the gospel. So they need to hold it with a clear conscience. They need to know what they know and why they know it. And they need to know that they know it. So, verse 10, they need to be tested first. And if they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. And Paul doesn't outline what this testing looks like, but essentially Paul's saying, do your due diligence. Make sure that the men that you are installing into the office of deacon are men that should be there. And I'll just say that uh, after the nominations, we, we had conversations with all the new nominees, and we had conversations with uh, those who had already served as a deacon, and we asked them questions. We asked them some hard questions, and we talked to them, and, and we made sure that we felt before God that these men were indeed qualified to serve in this role. But, you know, a lot of, these, a lot of you guys have already uh, proven yourselves. Um, we are blessed to have deacons who were already serving when they were nominated. They were already blessing God's church, and so they've proven themselves before even being nominated. But he goes on in verse 10, he says, If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. Skip down to verse 12. Again, they are to be husbands of one wife. They are to be one woman man devoted to their wives, manning their children and households. And then look at this, deacons. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So those are the qualifications. Some of them are similar to elders. But let's talk about the nature of the office. If, 
Elders model that, that nature of Christ, the divine nature, that word nature, as the chief shepherd. You as deacons will model Christ as the chief servant. You are the physical representation of Jesus' earthly ministry. The model of the chief servant. And you, you need to write this down. Romans 15 verse 8. Romans 15 verse 8. Paul says, For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised. Christ became a servant. And the words that's used there is Christ became a deacon. So Paul is saying when Jesus descended and when he came and he, he performed his earthly ministry and he lived among the squalor and he, he got his hands dirty and he did all these, these tasks that, that, that every normal, you know, normal everyday people did, he did that as a servant. And so what you have in the New Testament is this beautiful picture where the two natures of Christ are represented by elders and deacons. So deacons... And church, you need to understand the role of deacon is not just do what the elders don't want to do. It's not just do things that the elders can't do or don't have time for. You are entering a role that is one half of the portrait of Christ to the rest of your church. You are a representation and a model of Christ's earthly ministry. You are a part of that portrait. And so being a deacon is so much more than maintaining buildings and, and taking up collections and turning off lights and locking doors and all those things. You are serving a vital role to represent Christ to us. And so what are you to do with that? I have, I have three applications I want to give you to all of our, our deacons and then our perspective, our new deacons. Uh, application number one, I think it's important for you to have the proper expectations for your roles. I think that's important for us as a church as well. Um, one, one of the things that I want us as a church to be on guard is that we ride deacons and elders so hard that they always end in burnout. If we have an understanding of what the role of an elder is and what the role of a deacon is, anything that falls outside of that purview is something that we need to be very careful about laying on the deacons. But deacons, you need to have a proper expectation for your role. You serve in a unique way. And what is that unique way? Very quickly, if I can just put it this way, you are assistance to the elders. And you say, assistance, I didn't know I was signing up to be an assistant. Well, here's the thing. The word deacon really has only four meanings in the New Testament. One of them is servant, right? But if, if we just take it as servant, what makes you different than everybody else? What makes a deacon as a servant different than someone who serves in the nursery as a servant? Why even have the office of deacon if it's just the same thing? There's something distinct and different about deacons, right? So what is that? Well, when you go back and look at Acts 6, the whole point of deacons is the elders are focusing on the ministry of the word to prayer, to leading the church. 
And the deacons serve a role in assisting us. It's not necessarily of one is better than the other, but there is a distinction in our office, in the office of, of deacon, that makes you a vital part of the church. And so your role is to represent Christ, to assist the elders in the leadership of the church and the care of the church. And the reality is, is we can't do it without you. The elders cannot do it without you. We need you. Um, we, we need you in, in ways that you don't even know yet. So have a, a proper expectation of your role. This uh, morning, you're all going to receive two books. Uh, and as a group of, of deacons, we're going to meet regularly. I'm going to meet with you. We're going to work through those books so that you have that understanding. And once you go through that book, you'll, you'll see a lot of what I'm saying is more fleshed out in there. But... But you need to have, uh, begin thinking about the proper expectation for your role. And, and on a personal note, let me say this. I understand that all of our deacons, all of you are lay people. I want to be cognizant of that. I want to understand that you have jobs, you have families, you have other things that you are doing. And so not only do I want you to have the proper expectations of understand what your role is, I also want you to understand what your role isn't. And I don't want you to be burned out. I don't want you to, I do not want you to come to the end of your term as a deacon celebrating as if you've just been let out of prison. <laughs> I don't want our elders to do that. And we have, we have to make sure that we are caring for our elders and our deacons. Yes, they care for us. We care for you. But also, there needs to be a care for us to make sure that we have the proper expectations. That's uh, the first application. The second application is this. Uh, deacons, maintain your walk with the Lord. Maintain your walk with the Lord. Just because you're installed and ordained does not mean you cannot be removed. I care more, and the Lord cares more, and the Word cares more about what, who you are than what you do. When it comes to deacons, list one skill like able to teach that you see. You won't find one. It matters more who you are, what type of man you are. Are maintain your walk with the Lord. Listen, being a deacon is not a substitute for being a disciple. If there ever comes a point when you're serving as a deacon that you begin to realize you have substituted time in the Word, time in prayer, you've substituted that with, I turn the lights off when I leave, I clean the kitchen, all those other things. Be very careful. Be very careful. Please make sure that you're in the word. Make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're sharing your faith. Come talk to me if it gets out of balance. If you're unsure that you're keeping a good balance. So have proper expectations for your role. Maintain your walk with the Lord. And then the third application is remember who you represent. Remember who you represent. You represent Christ. 
the elders represent Christ. And when we work together, when we function biblically, we present the beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ. So why, why should we even care? Why even care to make sure that we're doing things biblically? Because a disordered, a disordered distorted presentation, a, disord, a disordered and distorted uh, function of the offices leads to a disordered, distorted representation of Christ. If we don't do being an elder and being deacons well, we're misrepresenting Christ. And so I want us to seriously consider this, that the offices of an elder and a deacon serve unique but vital roles within the life of the church. One of, I, have a, I have a confession. There's a type of movie that I like. I'm not endorsing it wholeheartedly. I know there's things in it that are not, you know, uh, so, so don't, don't take this. But I love Mr. Bean movies. That they just make me laugh. It's it's just my kind of humor. But there's one Mr. Bean movie in particular where he has put in charge through a series of events of caring for a, a very expensive and important painting. And if you know what happens in that movie, uh, he's looking at it and he sneezes. Well, obviously, like you know. Bit particles go on there. So he takes down the painting and he takes it down to the basement and he tries to clean it and he uses paint thinner to try to get it off and it starts boiling like acid and he, you know, uh, tries to fix it and he takes it back and then the guy comes and he says, what happened to the painting? And, and instead of this beautiful, amazing painting, he pulls the sheet off and Mr. Bean has penciled in like this head that has like this huge nose, it's bald, and it's just, you know, I just crack up every time I see that. It went from this beautiful portrait, this beautiful representation, to this comical, silly, unserious portrait. And if we're not careful when it comes to elders and deacons, if we start twisting and distorting those offices, we might end up with a Mr. Bean portrait of Jesus instead of a biblical portrait of Jesus. And so if I could narrow it down, if I could summarize what we're saying this morning, it's this. When, we, when they are defined and function biblically, elders and deacons present a complete portrait, a portrait of Jesus Christ to his people. When they are defined and function biblically, elders and deacons present a complete portrait of Jesus Christ to his people. So a lot of times people say, I want to see Jesus in our church. Show me your elders and your deacons. What are they doing? How are they doing it? The Lord has given us two offices. And we get to be, to bless, be blessed by those offices. So deacons, you have our prayers. You have our support. We pray that you sense the, the weight and the joy and the privilege that comes with being a deacon. That you get to represent Christ. And so as the days go on, my prayer for you is that Christ is formed in you. Christ is reflected in you. Uh, Christ is reflected through you. And so as we come to a time of ordination, this is a time for us to, to slow down and take this seriously. And we want to, to pray to offer you deacons as, 
as a church to pray over you. And so here's what we're going to do uh, in the next few minutes. First of all, we're going to have all of our newly elected deacons come up. And then uh, we're going to have our uh, currently serving deacons come. And we're going to lay hands on them. Uh, and we're going to pray for them. Uh, that's not very clear. Uh, I, I want our new deacons to go. New deacons, just come on and start making your way up. We've got four chairs right here for you. Okay, come on. Now is the time. All right. In uh, uh, and our, and our uh, currently serving deacons, if you'll come on up and, and stand behind them, have a seat, grab a seat, grab your books. All right. We're judging you based on where you sat. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All right, so what we're going to do is, is our currently serving deacons, if you'll, if you'll lay hands on these brothers, I'm going to ask our elders to come on up. Uh, we want to lay hands on them too. And so we're going to pray for them. Okay, that's going to be number one. There are three steps to this. We're going to pray for them like this. Then step two we're going to ask the wives to join. And then we're going to pray for them like this. And then step three is everybody else is going to come and we're going to pray all together. Are we clear? Clear as mud, right? Okay. Just, just hang with me. It'll be okay. So let me, let's pray together uh, and uh, lift up these men. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, Lord, we thank you for these men who are willing to serve. We thank you for their, uh, the, the calling that you've placed on their life. We thank you, oh God, that uh, they love your church. They love your people. And uh, Lord, it is a, a privilege and an honor and a joy, a unique joy uh, to be um, the hands and feet of Jesus in this body. And so, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would guard their hearts from temptation. I pray that they would stay in the word, that they would stay clean and close to you, Jesus, as best as they can. Lord, you've called them, and if you've called them, you will equip them. Lord, as, as they step into this role in this office, Lord, it's, it's also a grace to us to be reminded that you have men who are equipped, who have skills, who have backgrounds, who have histories. God, that will be a blessing to our church. They bring a wisdom. They bring insight. God, that we need because you've called them and the church has recognized that call. And so we lift them up to you individually, God, that they would be, God, that they would be attentive uh, to the office, but God, that they would also balance the responsibilities well. Lord, we thank you for these men. God, and we thank you for their willingness to step up and to serve your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you're a spouse of these men, will you come join them up front? Guys, you can stand up now. I don't think you uh, want to make your, or you can let your wife sit if you want. But 
we, we want to pray together. And uh, uh, John, uh, Jonathan, can you hand me that microphone right there? It's on the pew. There we go. Oh, thank you. All right. I uh, know. I'm so sorry, Vanessa. We we're so blessed. I I tell you to have to have so many people serving and and willing to serve. And so, um, let's pray. And I'm going to ask uh, Wiley, one of our elders, if you'll pray for. Uh, husbands and wives and deacons as they serve we know that this is uh, they are part of this just as much and, and even Paul did he addresses wives in the same section but if you'll just pray for them for their marriages uh, and lift them up and give you that Father we just um, we come to you we thank you for loving us we thank you for your son Jesus we thank you for this time Lord of For these men, and we thank you for their wives. We pray, Father, for your blessing upon them. We pray, Lord, for their marriage. We pray, Father, that they will continue to seek you and push each other, and that they will push each other to be more holy, to be more like you. You know what you have in store for them. I just pray, Father, that they will continue to seek you, seek your ways, and serve you as you would have them serve. And we just pray for both. All, all these here, we just um, thank you for each man and each, each wife. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, everybody else, let's, let's gather around. Let's, let's lay hands on them and pray for them. If you feel comfortable coming up, uh, if not, that's okay. You can stay where you're seated, but uh, let's, let's make our way up. If you're in the fellowship hall and you want to come over, feel free to come over. You can come stand on the stage back here and you can lay hands back. You can air lay hands. We can fill in the middle. We can, we've got room on the sides. All right. I'm going to ask our other elder, Mr. Glenn, if he'll pray. If he'll just pray for uh, our church and for these men as they serve and it's already on. You should be good to go. But just let's just all pray together and pray for them. Now, Father, again, we just thank you for this time that we have here today. We just special, Lord, and we just pray for each and every one of these men as they come and serve. We know, our Father, that things that we want to do sometimes is not what you want us to do. And we just pray for the church as a whole. We just pray for each and every one that is here today, Lord, that they may receive a blessing that's coming out of our house. And we also pray, Lord, that you know you came here to not destroy the world, but to save it. Hmm. We pray for each and every one that 
might not know you as a Savior this morning. We pray, Lord, that touch your hearts, maybe give them some conviction. And Lord, we love you so much that we just thank you for your love that you've shown for us. We know, our Father, that all that we have is because you've given it to us. You've given us great blessings. And we just pray that you continue and pray for each and every one that we may continue to try to live and do as you would have us to do and go and be what you would have us to be. Amen. All right, you may be seated. And let's, uh, as you make your way to your seat, let's, uh, let's give the Lord some praise. If you want to clap and uh, say amen, let's thank God for, for giving us these new deacons. All right, You're, uh, you can put that on your resume now, if it helps. All right. Well, thank you. You guys are now officially deacons. Uh, we are, we thank God for you. We 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 just praise the Lord uh, that He's He's blessing us in so many ways, uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing how God's going to use each and every one of you. Uh, we have a couple announcements to make you aware of. Uh, just by way of reminder, we have our chili cook-off next.